0: Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals who seek the best education and inspiration on how to grow a business. The hosts in the podcast network act as on-demand mentors for entrepreneurs, startups, and scale-ups, offering practical tips, resources, and inspirational stories. Listen, learn, and grow with the HubSpot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network. My guest today is Jack Butcher. Jack is a designer, entrepreneur and founder of Visualize Value, a content platform teaching people to communicate visually and build great online products. Started off his career in graphic design, spent 10 years working in Fortune 100, advertising in New York City. He quit and he decided to do his own thing. Today, after several successes and failures, he has grown Visualize Value to over $100,000 in monthly recurring revenue. He is created several courses he's created a huge following on Twitter with uh, like hundreds of thousands i think visualize value has 190,000 i think his personal uh, twitter account has over 130 or 140,000 he has hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram as well so we broke down how he made visualize value successful so first we spoke about content and how do we figure out what how do you figure out what resonates with your audience he did it with visualize value we have to figure out how you can make content that resonates with an audience on platforms like Twitter and Instagram so late in the game. So he broke down his strategy. We spoke about community. How do you build a community around your own brand? Uh, We spoke about why and how he had so much success on Twitter in particular when so many people are just stagnant with their growth. We spoke about course creation. How do you justify monetizing your own knowledge? What makes a good course? What differentiates a course and a course creator? We spoke about uh, the concept of leveraged income versus passive income. We spoke about maintaining long, longevity in a brand, your your own brand, your company's brand, your product, your service. We spoke about uh, tips on building a personal monopoly and doubling down on who you are and yourself and what you offer the world. And then lastly, we spoke about some of the challenges of being a full-time creator and what a full-time creator looks like and what their day looks like, what their life looks like, and some of the struggles and nuances that Jack has discovered over you know the past two years where he has built out this incredible brand and company so let's jump right into it this is jack butcher founder of visualized value
1: yeah i didn't mention this in my story but i only started like i was running this ghost agency while i had a full-time job like i
0: Thanks again for joining me today. I am sitting down with Jack Butcher. Jack Butcher is a designer, entrepreneur, and founder of Visualize Value, a content platform and social media brand teaching people to communicate visually and build great online products. I am going to let Jack discuss his career and bring us up to speed. But Cole's notes, he was in corporate Fortune 100, in uh, graphic design, He worked in his own agency, uh, realized that that was not the entrepreneurial dream that he wanted, and then moved into productizing his skills and building out uh, an enormous Twitter and Instagram following with visualized value. Uh, He built out uh, courses as well, created a community, and if I'm not mistaken, ramped to over $1 in revenue, I think top line, in just under 18 months. So... Congratulations, uh, obviously, quite a career and quite an accomplishment, um, especially just in the in the time frame that you did it when you when you sort of figured out what worked. So you know, I'm very excited to understand because I think that everybody here looks at where you are at right now and eventually wants to achieve that independence, that freedom, that quote unquote ability to be your own entrepreneur and to build your own thing, but obviously you didn't start there so let's let's unpack jack let's uh, let's figure out where you came from and, and how you got to where you are here today so thank you
1: well, mate thanks for having me I appreciate it um, yes so graphic design corporate corporate background in some respects but I actually began my career working for a entrepreneur in a small advertising agency in new york uh five staff in a tiny little room in west chelsea and uh that i think is probably a lot of the foundation of where i am today In a, in a number of ways the guy that started that and managed to sort of Wrangle the business of these huge corporate clients as a small entity, like being exposed to the fact that that was possible, I think planted a seed early on for me. So this is, a, this is a new thought that I've been sort of playing with for the last couple of weeks. But all of the different experiences I had in the first 10 years of my career have kind of culminated into creating this thing that is uh, it's, it's hard to identify the exact catalyst for each decision in the business as it stands today but looking back yeah i started as basically a design intern making tea in a a a little agency business in new york did that for a couple of years that business actually got shut down i moved in-house to one of the clients to keep my visa so i'm originally from the uk um and did that for a couple of years And then started just basically bouncing around the agency scene in New York. So from this tiny boutique agency where I had a relationship with the founder to a 13,000 person digital consultancy with 45 offices around the world that works with big fortune 100, fortune 50 companies in some cases, and sort of did a lot of different jobs within that agency, moved to... Smaller place, back to a bigger place. Worked in house at Bloomberg for a little while. Maybe had, a, I think, close to ten full-time jobs before I made the leap into uh, building my own agency, which essentially was a replica of the businesses that I'd known to date. And I think this is a, you know, this is the process of going through that and failing was was instrumental too to to finding a different. Uh, or to to pursuing a different model in the end so went from employee at all of these different agencies tried to basically increase my economic upside by moving around so you get your five percent pay rise your two percent pay rise and then you start to get to a place where you're you know the room above you is less than uh the room below you. So start to think about, okay, how much more upside exists in this situation? How, like how much more is there for me to learn in this world? And not that there was, there wasn't any, any more room to run or any more to learn, but I did start to feel like, you know, I was waking up and doing the same thing every day and running out of like the learning curve started to flatten off kind of. So you start at the bottom of a business like this and you learn more and more and more, and by my seventh or eighth agency, I started to, I was in a position where I was exposed to the, the workings of the business a little more than I was when I started out. So you start to see, you know, the budgeting how time is spent. Uh, you start to like run the pitches yourselves and, and get into those negotiations. And that's when I think a light bulb went off and I was like, there's a huge amount of opportunity here. Just based on the fact that, you know, company X is spending this amount of money on this many emails, for example, or this campaign to launch this thing. And there's an element of this like entrepreneurial naivety and arrogance that comes into that at the beginning was like, I can do this better. I can work harder and I can, you know, deliver more for less and the reality of that situation is is often that is often not the case, right? Your energy can carry you so far, and that's what happened to me at the beginning of the agency uh like starting my own agency I was so charged up and energized that you can make up for that sort of deficit in infrastructure, just pure like twenty seven year old I think it was it like the energy that you still have, and you can wake up early, go to bed late and keep grinding out. And then you reach a crossroads, which is what happened to me, which, you know, I had a a big enterprise client. I was doing most of the work myself, had a few freelancers come in and out, but then you reach this crossroads where if you really want to support businesses like that over the long term, you need a big team. You need to have an office because they expect to come in and sit with you. And I was like, organizing we work spaces and you know just pretending to have a business that was bigger than it was in terms of infrastructure in order to satisfy people and then just hit a wall burned out making okay money maybe like clearing a little bit more than i would as a salaried employee but the amount of stress on top of that was also incredibly significant because there's so many things that you've never done before never accounted for and you have I didn't have any element of specialization to the business. It was just a creative agency. So basically, if you have a creative task that needs to be done, we'll try and estimate it and deliver it. And that is not, you know, that's not a scalable business model unless you just hire tons and tons and tons of people. And that's where the idea for visualized value came from essentially was what can I do that's way narrower than this and not a lot of people are either interested in or good at. And the idea initially sprang from building pitch decks. So in those 10 jobs I'd had, and in the early days of building my own agency, the thing that I felt that I had an advantage in, or I had like an inordinate ability to focus on was this idea of like visualizing concepts and selling a story visually, which normally took the form of a pitch deck. And the few people that had seen them that weren't my clients at the time were like, oh, can you help me do that for um, maybe they're entrepreneurs or had small businesses. And that was when the transition began from, you know, agency that does anything to slightly more specialized on this very specific style of design to then grow in a social presence and seeing that there's opportunity to um, produce products that have way less of a relationship to the amount of time I spend on a daily basis delivering work.
0: So, so everything, um, seems very, uh, linear and, and the progression makes sense from career into building your own agency um and a lot- like you mentioned, a lot of people do that. they make that jump because they have that entrepreneurial naivety and they think they 're going to make it and do it better than you know the last ten bosses could but that 's not always the case, especially in agency work, which is very difficult um but the The curious part of your story is when you uh decided to move away from you know one stop shop for everything agency and decided to make. So walk me through, because people are listening, but also watching. And maybe for YouTube, I'll have to put up a, a little screen capture of what these are. How would you best describe the first iteration of what visualized value is? Because the way I interpret them now, when I look at it, I see them as uh, f- uh, visual representations of various theories or quotes. Is that the best way to describe them?
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty spot on. I think to begin with,
2: they were it was just adding visual... Context to an idea. So b- that began
1: as literally PowerPoint slides. So instead mm-hmm. of putting up a slide with 15 bullet points on it and watching everybody in the room's eyes just glaze over, try and simplify that down into a visual representation of the thing you're um, trying to convince them of or you, the thing that you're trying to help them get their head around. And a simple example of that in a commercial context was like, If you imagine you're presenting a campaign idea to a automotive manufacturer and you contextualize where they are in the consumer's mind relative to their competitors, right? Where, where is your advantage? You could write three paragraphs to explain that, or you could do like a two by two and say, you know, people make this decision emotionally versus rationally for example right you sit on this end of the spectrum versus that end of the spectrum and those simple things that were you know kind of throw away thoughts at one point were actually the thing that was that made me successful in the agency world it's like that was uh, I would get asked to work on these pitch decks for that reason and then the pitch decks were the things that made it possible to win the business when I was out on my own, but you weren't actually getting paid to produce the pitch decks, right? Those are the, basically the conduit between you and getting to work on the opportunity. So you make this really unique thing and tell this really unique story to win this project. That's a pretty, um, in, in some cases, generic, right? That, that wouldn't be distinguishable between you and another agency, or at least in my case,
2: like I, Mm -hmm the the first set of deliverables for the agency was a video campaign
1: and that's not my bread and butter, not my, like, not my passion by any means or not something that I'm going to excel at beyond like some of these really specialized agencies that recruit from film schools and all of these different, uh, like hyper-focused things. So it's discovered that, you know, you can't really be competitive at something that you don't love. So uh, then, yeah, just had this realization that hang on a second, there's value in this thing, even though this is not the thing that's being directly monetized right now. There is a there is a value to this thing because it's facilitating this transaction. It's helping explain something to someone that didn't understand it before, and then focusing on trying to figure out how to bring that to market as a product versus the product of showing that thing to someone being the product so you're kind of cutting out a step
0: and and taking that and turning it into a product what was the first iteration of that product was it you building a social media profile brand community around the product or was it actually trying to productize it
1: so it was a service business to begin with so it was, there, there's, uh, I think this is a common misconception that there's this like cut off point where, okay, I'm doing this now, but mm-hmm. it was more of a, okay, I have some corporate clients. I'm doing this like generic creative work, but I'm going to start to promote the agency with this more specific aesthetic. So I'm kind of failing in business at that point, right? I'm, I'm completely burned out, making okay money. Everybody I tell what I'm doing is like, wow, this is the most incredible thing ever, but it doesn't really align with my experience. So start reading more, start discovering, you know, great authors that have written about the things that I'm struggling with and started basically applying my skill set to that content. So like the Seth Godin's of the world, Naval Ravikant, mm-hmm. find the, the things that they've said that helped me sort of break through some of these barriers in my understanding of how to operate a business turn that into an asset that was uniquely you know that had my unique perspective embedded in it which in this case was these visuals and that kind of became this this different magnet for my services as a as an agency so a few people reached out and they're like oh could you help me visualize my ideas or i have mm-hmm. trouble explaining this thing and when i looked at that visual it helped the idea land for me and I think people can kind of reverse engineer what it would be like to have their own ideas represented that way or their own talking points represented that way. So posting a few of those visuals early on wasn't called visualized value. It wasn't like I'm not starting this thing and calling it this thing. It was, uh, my, my agency still still exists. It's called opponent. And that was like this idea of like contrarian thinking, and like we're going to challenge you on your ideas and we're going to push you to, uh, you
0: know, that's a clever, that's thing. a clever, it's uh, a clever theme for a business. I like that a lot, actually. Oh, I didn't thank know you. that.
1: Yeah. And, and it resonates with people. But when you run into like Fortune 500 infrastructure, it doesn't matter what your intentions are. It just, you just get like completely worn down. So <laughs> that was like, I loved, uh, I loved like building out that brand and that story, but it's really hard to deliver on the promise because of just the experience that I'd had today. And like my ultimately my naivety that I could do that individually, not saying that there aren't great agencies out there that can like lead big businesses in new and different directions. There are, but did I want to go that route or did I have the skill set that I felt like I was the person to go and do that? No. So it would have taken time, would have taken a significant amount of time to get there where you're like, like, you have to be like, I think you have to love different things. Like I love making the stuff. And if you're like really good at coaching people individually, or you could, you know, like, strategically leading a group of people in a certain direction and investing years in like coaching the leadership team of a business that's a different skill set and people do that well but that's not that's not me um yeah so started posting this stuff and then that just became more of the mix of work so people were approaching me specifically for visual narratives um Mm -hmm. whether that was a pitch deck a landing page that explained their process. And there's a few people that I just had as close friends that I'd met in entrepreneurial uh, groups on the internet and meetups that I went to in the city that when they'd explain their business to me, I'd be like, oh, have you tried explaining it like this? Or, you know, you can distill your value proposition to this one diagram, this one slide. And I thought it was so obvious and they'd look at it and be like, wow, that's great. I'm going to start using that, this napkin sketch. So then, like the dots started to connect. I was like, okay, I can really narrow in on this, and there's not going to be, uh, you know, there's no dearth of opportunity for people that want to more clearly communicate. I'm not going to run out That's of opportunity in that world. So then, visualized value is born, and all of the, I think, learnings from that had been beaten into me in the corporate America world, where it's like pick a style, stick to it, build visual equity stick to your brand guidelines that's definitely um you know that training kind of kicked in and that's why the aesthetic is very specific and you know spend time choosing the name and getting all that stuff dialed in so yeah it wasn't a smooth transition by any means but and still isn't right so so well
0: no you're you're so so you're you still take on new projects and i think that even now you have uh now you have i guess two courses based on and one of them one of them is on creating these uh, creative assets these vi- like visualizing value but the other one is just being uh, what i guess productizing and monetizing yourself as an individual yeah. and and what you know so even now you're still you're still creating new ideas to to sort of help people in the in the internet economy to actually tap into a different form of entrepreneurship that isn't an agency or isn't a recurring SaaS product if you had a technical background. So, okay, so let's, so now that that makes a lot of sense. So um, you launched the course, uh, the, the way that you've scaled it to a million dollars in revenue in, in 18 months, that's also slightly unorthodox compared to many other course creators that launch on Udemy or Skillshare mm-hmm. or whatever. So walk me through walk me through your strategy for your growth as a as a course creator, yeah, and as a brand. Sure. So the
1: we haven't spent any money on advertising ever, zero zero dollars mm-hmm. on ads, and that's been the signals you get back from the content. I think has informed the um, informed the journey massively. So I started my started soliciting for business for opponent on facebook this is like i don't even know how i ended up down that rabbit hole but maybe (laughs) somebody uh this is like the facebook ad algorithm working a treat right they're seeing what i'm reading what i'm looking at and i go on facebook and it's like join this thing like scale your business do this thing so i end up in all these different groups and things and um i just uh for whatever reason Like, it's a really closed garden, right? The Facebook thing started to get really like it's these like really micro economies of the same kinds of people buying stuff from one another. And there's a few dozen people that are sort of sustaining each other's business. And, you know, you can whatever opinion you want on that is fine. But it was really when I discovered Twitter that the dynamic changed completely. Mm -hmm. So the open network of Twitter, if you have. If you, I think if you can produce content that has like this natural velocity to it, like it will get shared organically, it really opens you up to all manner of possibilities, right? Depending on, uh, depending on the products you create, depending on the work you do, I think you can use an organic audience that is attracted to a very specific type of creative output. You can offer all manner of unique things to those people. And the course thing was never really in the, never really in the roadmap or something that I even thought about doing. So the first six months was really just consulting and design projects and just getting more and more narrow on that. So obviously the bigger, the, the bigger, the reach becomes like the more, uh, the more choosy you can essentially get with who you work yeah. with, right? You can qualify the people that are going to get the most out of what you do, the people that you want to work with the most. And that was, that was going well. And the network was just growing naturally on Twitter. And it was actually a tweet by David Perell, You know, David Perel? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The, yeah. He's a incredible writer. Obviously Great that's dude. his thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. And he, he wrote a tweet in maybe May of last year saying, One skill I really want to sharpen up this year is my ability to design. And he, I think, tagged Visualize Value in that post. And he's like, this is something that I'm studying. And that, again, is like, because you have the audience and the reach, you can act quickly on a concept like that. And there's an element of social proof in his, um, you know, in his acknowledgement of it. So that was just a quote tweet, I believe. I said, is anybody you know, if I was to put something together on this topic, like a asynchronous course that you could go through, would you be interested in it? And it got a great response. So then I said, okay, give me a week, I'll I'll make it. And uh, that, that became that that did well. And obviously, you have the content engine that's still ticking in yeah. the background, yeah. which is bringing more people in to hopefully see, uh, expose the people that might want to learn that to that Content. Um, that, I think we ran that for like three months very specifically. And you can imagine how tight of a relationship there is between posting these images that are the output of this, uh, like honing this skill set. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, th- maybe three or four months after that, a lot of people reached out to me and they're like, how did you take design as a skill set and codify it into this curriculum that people can follow? And I hadn't done it before, but it is a, you know, it's just an exercise in design thinking. It's just a different, different sort of different slant on it, right? It's like, how do you structure information? How do you break up these principles into a sequence where people uh, can kind of, uh, a stepladder of knowledge, right? You introduce someone to this principle and that principle, you have them do this exercise. So There was essentially someone else in the Twitter audience challenged me to codify that. And that thing became another education product called Build Once, Sell Twice, which is how do you productize something that you have stumbled on really specifically, right? Like those 10 years of corporate experience and like a couple failed businesses landed in this place where there is this skill set that, um, you don't need necessarily need to hire me to uh, capitalize on that thing. You can buy it for your designer. You can learn it yourself. You can start to bring these principles into your work. So that became, uh, and that's not just true of design, right? There's anybody that has a very
0: specific skill set can scale their knowledge that way. So, sorry, I'm gonna let the dog out. No, no, <laughs> it's all good. Um, no, yeah. I, was, I was just gonna, I was gonna say that um, I'm not sure if you, if you, if you did this purposefully or not, but also I found that everything you did, you built a great community around it. So it wasn't just putting out great content. Like there was a great community that you built it. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, even the products that you, the, the, the course, the final, the second course, I'm not sure about the first one, but did you build those in public as well? Like you involved the community. in. so that's something else that I noticed that, uh, people that do it very well, especially on Twitter, um, just because it seems to be like such a huge... or The organic reach is immense compared to many other social platforms. So walk me through if you have any tips on, on building that community, because if somebody does build once, sell twice, that's they have a product, fine. But how do you build this reach? Because that's really what's going to really benefit, right?
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the one of the advantages I have as a designer
2: and one of the things that's been like extremely, um, instrumental in the, like the development of my career is showing my work. So it's like, nobody's ever cared about my degree.
1: Nobody's ever cared about where I went to school. Every interview I've gone to every like job I've even, uh, every project I've gotten to work on internally at an agency has been because of the thing I did last. So, and you have a very tangible set of assets to point to as a designer, because you, you produce a portfolio of work, right? This is a project I worked on. This is a brand I designed. This is a website I built. And I think that was almost a subconscious advantage for such a long time because I'd always had that mentality, right? It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you tell me, show me what you did and that's how mm-hmm. uh, that's how I managed to move jobs and get a job in the first place by showing my portfolio so I think that's an that's a skill that other not even a skill it's a a practice I should say that other um, that other industries and other disciplines are coming around to now, so if you're You know, if you're, academia does this, like they publish what they're thinking about, right? They're always producing, uh, there's always an output of, okay, this is the research that we've done. This is how we're going to present it. This is, you know, our thesis. And I think convincing people that whatever it is you're thinking about, you have an opportunity to pre- like produce deliverables that convey that right and that to me is it's like a fundamental shift in thinking that seems completely obvious to me as a designer but when i introduce that concept to other people they're like oh yeah that's a great idea i'm going to start doing that and the idea that you think you're going to get discovered or people will you know actively seek out your thinking without doing that is I mean, it's insane when you look at it that way, but it's often. It is, but how that's what everybody
0: does. That's what everybody, everybody does,
1: right? You right. Assume that someone's just going to come and like pluck you out and be like, "Oh, can you? Yeah, can you uh, sell me on your services?" And you know, the way the, I mean, the internet is just a monstrous force in that equation, right? Every there's an Naval quote: "The um, the internet, the internet." <laughs> democratizes consumption but consolidates production so if you're the best in the world at anything you get to do it for everyone and that's like a really huge overlooked force in society i think that just because you've had this experience offline or because you have this anecdote of a friend of yours that got you know that knew somebody and got this job here proof of work is now like the currency that is going to move your career forward i think in almost every field and people who can produce visual assets or tangible assets or record podcasts or make videos mm-hmm. are just that much more likely to generate luck uh you know create relationships yeah. at scale because you know it's just sheer surface area and that is a uh, uh, just a the one thing I think that is hugely underestimated and it takes a long time to build it and get good at it and all of those
0: things. But, um, yeah, that, but that's what differentiates. That, that's that's what that, having that asset, right. Is what mm-hmm. differentiates. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot's CRM is the easiest tool you can ever find to align your team. There are two features that you need in a CRM that optimize every activity your team does. It's the ability to communicate, meaning chat, email, etc., messaging, as well as a unified system of record. Your company is going to use a CRM to manage conversations with prospects and customers throughout all stages of the buyer journey. And as your company grows, these conversations get a little bit more difficult. Information may get lost. Communication may be disjointed and HubSpot solves all that. Using HubSpot as your CRM makes sure that all of your communication and your records are unified across your entire organization. Meaning that from when you first have that initial touch point with the customer and they enter your funnel all the way through to when they actually sign that contract and after with customer success, every piece of information, every bit of communication is aligned and congruent across your company. You can install live chat on your website and allow sales or support to talk to prospects directly. You can send marketing emails on behalf of a sales rep to complement their outbound campaign. You can allow prospects to book meetings directly from marketing emails right into a sales rep's calendar. And all the interaction, all the communication is seamlessly documented into your HubSpot CRM so that if somebody else has to look into an account or to help out, they know exactly where the last person left off. Best of all, with HubSpot's various price points and flexible pricing, any company at any stage can take advantage of the various features features that HubSpot has to offer starting with free and allowing for more scalability and complexity as your organization grows. Learn how to scale your company without scaling complexity at hubspot.com. All right, let's get back to the show. How do you so this is something that now you teach over to people that are building the the build one, the build once sell twice. So, um as part of that, I'm assuming you actually have the the way to ideate on on how to productize your your knowledge and your your experience, but also part of that is also the the building the community building the brand and that's is that the core lesson the core learning is to is to show your work in some format or another and I guess I'm just thinking through like for for somebody who isn't a designer, a podcast YouTube whatever it may be that's probably the easiest way are there are are there other ways that you can show work? I'm just curious I don't know. Yeah. If there's something else that you would recommend people do to build out this brand.
1: Well, another thing that's interesting, and this is like, there's so much nuance to this and it often doesn't get covered in conversations about it. But the, one of the fundamental things I think is, do you have a skill set that allows you to produce a result for someone on your own? If you do, then you have a massive opportunity to teach other people that skill set. Right. If you're a a designer, a writer, a video producer, if you produce something tangible, or you have um, you can analyze data in a certain way, there is it's like reverse engineering the result. So a huge part of the curriculum is to get people focused on the result they generate, and then essentially build things that help you deliver that result with a less linear relationship to your time over time so you begin as a designer that spends three days with a founding team getting all the information out of them and then turning that into a asset the second iteration of that is you have systems to collect that information from them and you write better questions and you spend less time uh you spend less time like grilling people individually so it gets more and more efficient and then eventually you have a program that's so watertight because you've sent a hundred people through it and you've like figured out all the blind spots and figured out what you need to introduce somebody to at what time in order to get them to think about something um, in a different way that helps you like slowly divorce your time from the delivery of the result. But I think that is the introspective question that all of this begins with is like if
2: if i if i can create leverage for someone else on my own then i can produce an asset that essentially replicates my ability to do that and that like
1: we're in a period of time now where it's it's really hard to build that very specific skill set and stay focused long enough to be able to produce that result right when i started my career i would get like two text messages a day And I'd read them on my lunch break. People that are like practitioners and trying to learn skills now are going on Twitter or Instagram every 45 seconds. And it feels like you're missing the boat every time you look at something else, right? It's like, oh, I should be working on this or I should be, um, you know, I should learn that skill or I should be following this person and and like emulate what they're doing. So I'm really empathetic to the fact that it's harder or at least my perspective of it is it's really difficult to build these standout skills. Yeah, um, you and have that shiny
0: object syndrome for sure, right? That's that's yeah. always an issue now with social and and constant exposure, and you're always questioning whether or not you're doing it right. Even if you're getting results, should you redo it or learn something new or do it a different way? So how do you how do you personally? focus on what's driving results and not follow that shiny object all the time. It, it it's increasingly
1: difficult, right? The the amazing thing about building a business like this is it sort of trails your curiosity. So yeah. you have to you have to be interested in something that you're not quite great at in order to continue to like deliver those learnings to people who haven't gone down the same path as you but you also have to recognize when you are like just completely distracted and wasting time. And, uh, that's the, the, like the amazing thing about the internet is it cuts both ways, right? You can go super deep and build one, sell twice. The addressable market for that is enormous. You could go yeah. and sell that for a decade probably, right? There's enough people that have not been exposed to those ideas. But you can get in this little echo chamber where you've, you've, you start to burn out on, on that thinking because you've been teaching it for a year, for example. But then you, you could switch too far in a different direction, right? Or for me, like my shiny object is crypto. So I'm like down all these different rabbit holes. Um, you know, I played around with NFTs this year and I'm incredibly, like I'm a huge believer in all this technology, but there's also a cost to being distracted from the thing that a hundred thousand people know you for. For example, true. And true. if but all,
0: you, there's so many now, there's so many projects, right? It's even hard, and they all have some level of technical aptitude and competence behind them, for the most part and uh so so you know and then you're you're but the same like in any in any uh side you know side interest like even if you're looking to invest in traditional stocks or or anything really you just have to now crypto has a an added layer of complexity because you have to understand the underlying technology it's not like you know you can just go on google and understand the latest project because it's functioned like the past 200 or 300 projects right everything's so different yeah and and this is, I think this is another
1: interesting, there's a huge philosophical and political layer to all of this, which is the amount of like bias to the success stories that something like social media exposes, right? It's like, why would I sit down and learn a skill for five years when I can make a 7,000% return on this thing in 24 <laughs> hours, right? And if I get an... If I get a shot at that every single day for the rest of my life, why would I, you know, why would I ever learn a skill? So I think there's a, there's a really, the speed of it. And again, I'm close to it feels just bonkers to me. Like even in the last six months or so, I literally see it show up in the interest in the stuff that we produce. So try and get somebody to sit down and spend six months building an asset that they could sell for three years versus like, hey, put $50 into this like meme coin, and then you're going to be in great shape for the rest of your life, right? It's going to take people going through and crashing through those cycles to learn that that's not a sustainable strategy. But um
0: but yeah, I have they're, real estate. I know real estate investors that have multiple properties that are now fully in and like completely like they're not looking at units anymore. They're just like, I need to figure out crypto and that that blows my mind. It, it blows my mind because you know, some of these, some of these investments and I'm not like, I'm not an expert, but like something that has like a billion dollar market cap, like you can't liquidate that. Like right, right. if everybody who owns it liquidates, like, like it's not sustainable. No. So. And like I think you know, some some of the numbers are just insane. So, you know, it's, I think listen, this is part of a larger narrative of of chasing after everything you see on social media. You see the the fancy lifestyle, of the car, the guy that's a crypto investor that drives like five Lamborghinis, yeah. and you're like, oh, I want I want some of that. Yeah. And like, yeah, that that's nice, but that's not that's not the norm, right? Yeah. That's not that's not reality. I, in my in my opinion, it would be. Of course, yes. Would I love to invest a couple hundred bucks and then retire? Yeah. But also, <laughs> would it be nice to have something that I know is, you know, I, I see the, the 5% or 10% growth in the business that I own that I spend maybe 10 hours a week working on or 20 hours a week working yeah. on? And that's safer. It's, yeah. not, it's not fun dealing with some of that stuff. Some of the, the upside's huge, downside's even bigger, right? But yeah, it's the, funny that you mentioned that. The cost
1: that. you don't calculate is just how beat up you get by it when you get it wrong. And that's yeah. like way like that. That's a way bigger drag on your long term achievement, whatever you want to call it, yeah. uh, than the momentary upside you might get if you catch some luck. It is, you know, casino territory, right? Even these assets in the crypto land that have gone up yeah. ten thousand percent from inception required you to have ten years of conviction through all sorts of carnage. And that is, uh, I don't think going to change this idea of like shiny objects getting shinier is a pretty fascinating. I haven't really thought about it like that, but that's really a, I think in the last year or two, the frequency and the craziness in that
0: world has is, is on a parabolic move upward. So I think that that's why you see people that are are educated investors. They they put in you know a percentage, a small percentage of their their portfolio. Because my God, like you you know your heart's not going to take that. No, <laughs> I, I was I was listening. So you were on you were on uh, my first million podcast. And I was listening to I was listening to your episode to prep for this one, but I was also listening to just uh, Sean um, who's doing another episode about how he woke up and he lost five hundred thousand uh, dollars in stocks and in crypto and just. He had like some some mental health lessons and, and some mental health learnings to how, to how to get through that. But the biggest issue with like losses like that when you invest is it ruins everything else you're working on. Right. So you could have a job. You could have a business that you're running. You could have investments that are doing fine. And that, as a human, if you lose $500,000 in one day, mm-hmm. everything else is going to shit. Yeah. Everything else, does it like unless you're a very strong individual that can figure out how to get through that. Everything else goes to shit. So he was just cautioning, like, okay, it's fine to invest and it's fine to take losses, but the losses are not always the financial ones that are are directly realized from the asset depreciation. It's everything else in your life. It's That's interesting. A it's, it's a great point. <laughs> but I mean, you're in NFTs. I just I just realized because you're in you're in you know you create visual assets. This is you're you're primed for NFTs. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, I've sold some NFTs. It's a uh, it's a crazy world out there, man. Um... There's a lot of cool stuff happening in that world but it's also like mania it's total craziness the barrier to entry is so low and obviously yeah. the desire to win
2: is so uh huge and the yeah. like the disproportionate um the disproportionate
1: exposure to like su- people who did survive or people who did get it right is not providing your brain with an accurate picture of your, uh, your
0: actual likelihood of survival or success. Do you think that, uh, do you think that there's some longevity in NFT markets or do you think that it's going to be a fad?
1: Yeah, I believe in them for sure. I think it's like the utility that exists beneath, um, you know, the media hype cycle is significant and there's a lot of cool stuff happening, but it is, you know, like anything, these like speculative bubbles surround mm-hmm. them to begin with and then bear market two, three years of building. And then it comes back like a, you know, a much stronger and more refined version of itself. But yeah, I'm no, I, honestly, I've struggled to not be completely enamored by
0: that technology. Cause I think it's, it's fascinating. It is. But even if you look through the, the cycles of, of that, of blockchain technology, like you had all these incredible applications that were supposed to change the world that were three years ago, you know, all these different types of like, like smart contracts and things mm-hmm. like that, that how many of them, some of them have come to fruition, but how many of them have impacted your day to day? How yeah, many no, of them have impacted the infrastructure that you that you I, I knew somebody that was trying to build out a project that was supposed to uh, enable smart contracts for for telecom billing to mm-hmm. uh, to to, I guess, sort of augment the level of uh, uh, uh um a transparency with telco billing and, and how charges are levied and whatnot just because obviously like that's everybody's issue right? they get like a you know 500 hundred dollar cell phone bill they don't yeah, know what right. happened but like that that stuff is never gonna what you're gonna tell you're gonna tell telcos like verizon at&t Again, to it. restructure because like they're not gonna it's do it my, yeah. you have to move mountains and i don't see a lot of that happening yet
1: right it's all crypto native markets and there's a big enough yeah. market for you to for you to build and trade with people who have been in crypto for 10 years you can yeah. opt out of fiat entirely in a lot of ways like True. but to your point you try and bring some blockchain application to like entrenched fortune 500 company or like government yeah. funded utility forget it man that's an absolute like no that, go that's the that's non-starter. the
0: that's a goal that's the goal of adoption that is what you want to do but it's not i don't see it moving yet yeah,
1: I, I don't know how it plays out like long term. I'm definitely bullish on it long term based on the applications yeah. I see in the small markets. But yeah, knowing what I know about adoption of new technology in big companies can take a while.
0: <laughs> if you work, if you've, I remember. So I used to work for a, a telco, like Bell Canada, which I'm from, I'm from Toronto, yeah, yeah, Canada, yeah. right? So you know, Bell Canada it's like the biggest telco in Canada, like similar to Verizon or AT T or whatnot. And I remember when I worked with them, they had a they had an in house uh ordering system that was built around it was like built out of ms dos and it looked like an ms dos program and that was <laughs> that was like like you know ms dos what like 80s and that was and we were using it like 10 years ago that's so <laughs> yeah. so it. it's slow it, it is it's definitely a, it's definitely slow um uh, in, have you have you had any big wins with nfts i'm just curious now
1: yeah, yeah. I'll send you a link to it afterwards. But yeah. um, I made an NFT explaining NFTs. So it was a really simple
0: I, I think right? I saw that. I saw that somewhere on social I didn't know you sold that as an NFT. Okay. I did, mate. Yeah. Inception. NFT Inception. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Okay. A couple more. I, I wanted to ask you just two more things about, uh, you know, as, as you built out uh, visualized value, uh, you mentioned one point on. I think it was actually, oh, no, I think, I can't remember which podcast it was. You're speaking about leveraged income versus passive income. And I thought that was an interesting point because people look at you and they say, oh, he makes money while he sleeps. That's passive income. But what is it really? What is is the ideal setup for somebody who wants to do their own thing to build courses to be an entrepreneur? Because I don't think it is pure passive.
1: No, I mean, nothing. Up until you have the level of capital where you can, you know, buy massive amounts of real estate, for example, passive income is not a, uh, you know, not a phenomenon that you have access to unless you have absurd amounts of capital. And maybe there are exceptions to the rule. I've met a lot of people and I don't know of any yet, but the idea of an internet business is really about leverage and the amplification of good judgment right so you build a product that has zero cost of replication to you so that could be a software product where you know you have lines of code where every time a new user signs up it creates an account for them this is like happening automatically obviously and um or you can build information products content things of that media things of that nature where you produce something once and it can be displayed on a million screens at the same time anywhere in the world and that affords you leverage right so then your judgment becomes the thing that affects your income and for example you write a compelling piece of copy that introduces somebody to an education product if you post that piece of copy to an audience of 100 people and 2% of them buy that's you know let's say the course, the, the product is $100 you make two hundred dollars on that day. You grow your audience to a thousand people, two percent convert, you make two thousand dollars. And then mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And then you write better copy, that percentage goes up. So or you write a better line of code and the the software is more appealing to person X. So yeah. leverage a leveraged business is really the the disconnection from Hours spent and money earned. There's definitely, you definitely spend time making better decisions that produce more income in the long run. But it's, it's way less. The, the, the ironic thing is, I think there's, I think Bill Gates or somebody that ran a big technology company said this is like, we hire lazy people because we want them to basically make themselves redundant, right? We want them to write code that puts them out of a job. So, they're not sitting around doing repetitive things that a computer can do every day. They're not having the same conversation with someone every day. Like if you're a, um, one of the, actually i use an example of a graduate of build one, sell twice is an oncologist. And he, you know, has tons of patients. He's a massively, uh, respected uh, cancer doctor. And Now he's built this library of assets that explain in detail the mechanics of the disease. So Mm -hmm. when someone comes into his office, it's not him reading from a script, like teaching somebody this thing. It's a very like personalized, uh, let's talk about your specific situation and how you're going to deal with this. And I have all of these like explanations that you can take home and watch with your family and really get your head around what's going on inside your body. that's an example of media leverage in a in a profession which you'd never imagine could take advantage of something like that, right? And that Very smart. that maybe doesn't that maybe doesn't count as an internet business, but it does increase the return on your time, right? It increases the number of people you can help, and it inc- increases the quality of the experience that you have with those people. And obviously, it's an incredibly traumatic thing for somebody to be going through, so these principles don't just apply to income, they apply to like the quality of the service you provide too. And that's like the promise of, of computing and the internet at large, right? It's like, if you figure out how to help one person and you can codify that thing, then really it just like your work becomes a search function for the people who need that thing or are interested in that thing. Um, like I mentioned earlier on, Build once, sell twice. The market for that is fairly large, right? It's people who have a skill that they are currently applying their time to get to market, like a one-to-one relationship between their time and the delivery of their skill. Versus taking elements of that and either writing it in code or producing media that stops you from repeating yourself. Then that leverage starts to happen, and if you pair that with distribution so if you grow a great network on a platform like twitter or you build a youtube audience or you know even this is not exclusive to education and like these very uh like heady businesses either jake paul has some of the like most leverage in the world right this guy is getting paid a hundred million dollars to fight uh, oh, that was Logan Paul, right? But to fight Logan, yeah, Lloyd yeah, yeah. Mayweather. Well, they both,
0: they both boxed, but still, yeah, Logan right. got the big deal. Why,
1: why does he have <laughs> access to an opportunity like that? Because he has an enormous audience and they can like sell pay-per-views out and he can yeah. sell a million dollars of merch with a tweet. He's com- like, he's so leveraged. It's ridiculous. Kylie Jenner is another example. Like, I think the team that ran that makeup thing that she was doing for, probably is still doing, was a dozen people. But her brand just creates so much leverage, it's ridiculous. Like the name on the box gets printed and somebody else could be selling the exact same product, but they don't have the leverage that she has. Um, Yeah, the internet is just a monster of a vehicle for disconnecting time spent
0: from a result. I have, I have one more, Just one more question on that point um, because you had tweeted something else out earlier today and it was along the lines of uh, if no, like if nobody copies you, then what you're creating isn't worthwhile or something like that, or if you create good content, then people should copy you or something along those lines, <laughs> whatever it was. I can't remember the exact verbiage, but how do you maintain that monopoly on your personal brand? and in some for 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 a period of time for forever right because Mm -hmm. somebody's going to come around and copy i i even i've seen people probably the graduates from your your program create similar looking assets right so how do you stay as as you know main visualized value besides the fact that you were first and somebody who didn't come from your program who wants to create similar assets they're probably not going to be respectful of you either so what's your what's your strategy yeah i mean they pop up all the time i'm beginning
1: like Honestly, that was the one of the catalysts for building the course in the first place. Like if people are gonna copy this anyway, or yeah. like the market is demonstrating a desire to produce similar things, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh produce something that can allow me to capture value from that desire, right? The people that maybe yeah. want to do that but don't know where to start, don't know what tools to use, don't know how to think about it. Um it's again another like weird double-edged sword of the internet it's like if you're onto something people are going to come after you for it like there's um if you're not uh i don't imagine you've listened to this but there's this this nine and a half hour podcast with uh (laughs) michael saylor and robert breedlove on bitcoin it's called what is money and in the last episode michael saylor this guy's like a massive bitcoin bull and mit graduate he's like runs a technology company He says, if you're in, if you're 99.99% smarter than everybody in the world, there are still 750,000 people smarter than you that want what you have. That's just like such a mind blowing statistic to me. It is. That it's like your advantage in that situation is to be yourself, right? If you're not growing a... If you're not trying to like out, maybe these are interchangeable, but there's like you either out innovate or you out individualize. So you, and I've started to, I think do this over time is like, I've lent way more into my personality over time. Like I started as this really specific, like, here's this thing I can do, hire me to do it. I'll get it done. And then like, I'll find someone else. And that, that really, I think, people maybe overshoot this sometimes where there's nothing wrong with having a business where you take on 10 clients a year and you get to pick from a huge, uh, pool of clients based on the very specific message you're putting out to market, right? The, the desire to get completely divorced from time and income from day one is, I don't know, maybe some people are able to do it. It's not how I did it. Um, and I'm not completely
2: divorced either. I'm leveraged, but there's, there's not a complete divorce. Um, But it comes from like really over time starting to like, you can't really deny the thing that
1: got you there in the first place, right? The just constantly pursuing your curiosity and all the cliches about skating to where the puck is going and all of these things. It's like, the way I think about it specifically for an education business is there's always like you're kind of um, a visual would be appropriate here, but you basically have the people you learn from and the people that you can teach and you kind of sit in the middle there. So as you start to learn new things from new people, or you start to go into these different areas of interest or industries or whatever it might be, those learnings can like filter back to the people that are you know interested in pursuing some aspect of what you've already done. So visualize value, for example, is like going from how to visualize, uh, how to visualize these ideas that might sit in the presentation of a fortune 500 company to how do I ex- better explain crypto project X, right? My personal interests start to, filter into the stuff that I'm producing. And then I get more specific and the people that reach out to me are more aligned with my interests long-term. And I think that's the, that's the really nuanced thing about all of this is you can really get stuck in this generic trap for such a long time. And you're like people end up commoditizing themselves because they're afraid of shutting themselves off from certain opportunity, right? That's where I was even at the beginning of Visualize Values, like I would work with anybody that would pay me. And it's only through like saying no and chopping off like huge chunks of what you did before. Can you like, you have to sort of survive that dip, right? Of saying, I'm yeah. just going to focus on this. And as my focus changes, so will the work I do or the products I build. Um, and We could go into a long and
2: deep rabbit hole about this, like the direction of the world. But I think (laughs) that that is a, that is, it feels to me like there's either going to be these like monolithic companies, like you're either going to be
1: an Amazon or you're going to be this very, very specific artisan, like you have this very specific output. Like that's the general trend of technology, right? Everything in the middle just gets
0: destroyed. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, not to be, a and popular, that's where that brings you back to that quote about about you're either going to innovate or individualize. Yes, and it's, it's I would say that one seems drastically easier to do than the other. Indeed, indeed, yeah. and like <laughs> to think about the scale
2: at which there's a great uh, there's a guy called
1: Rohan Gilks. He has a great Twitter account. Tweets a lot about like you know more traditional businesses that are. Uh, augmented by technology so he's built cleaning businesses he's built landscaping businesses and just put like great technology on the front end of them and he had a quote uh i'll paraphrase it but basically says if you're an employee of a
2: company you're already an entrepreneur the only difference is you only have one customer so the idea that. that um the
1: idea that you exist outside of the same set of rules is kind of an illusion, right? The, the, the proof of work thing, the ability to build things on the internet, the ability to build a network that like has some anti-fragile properties where I know that even a year ago at this point, when visualized value was maybe a couple thousand people, there was enough work in that network. There was enough, goodwill and enough time spent and enough like competence demonstrated that I could live off the relationships that I'd, I'd built in that, um, at that stage at t- in time. And I think it's, it's kind of chicken before the egg. It's like, you have to really, you have to deny certain opportunities in the short term in order to like really go deep and specific over the long-term and become that individual, uh, representative of the thing you do. Uh, very hard to give a specific prescription, but that's how I think about it.
0: The mindset the mindset makes sense. And that's the difficult, that's the that's the step that I find a lot of people have difficulty with. Because how many people get to, the, literally the point in your life where you were, when you transitioned into agency, that's where everybody gets stuck. And that's where most people turn into on, entrepreneurs. And that's where most people find out that entrepreneurship is not great for, yeah. it's not what they wanted. And they're like, okay, well, let's just go back. And work I, i've done that i've done that myself i did agency work i tried to do some consulting fractional cxo stuff it's very difficult it is it's very difficult
2: it is um yeah i think um yeah media and, you, and there's also this trap of sort of
1: becoming this like entering these echo chambers of becoming the same version of someone else doing a similar thing and that's like a human thing right the mimicry of everybody catches themselves doing it i do it it's uh you look at something it's like that's not really me i'm doing that because i saw it work for someone else and Yeah. yeah i truly believe in this long term like the way things play long term is like you can have an incredible life working for you know uber or whatever learn a skill that's like uh, incredibly valuable to a massive tech business, get a huge chunk of equity. You're probably going to be making more than me in a few years, based on the fact that yeah. Uber's taken over the world. Or you, um, you pursue something that you're just irrationally passionate about, and the internet affords you the ability to build a network of people that, like, would only ever hire you to do that thing. And that's a really hard thing to do. Like, it's not. I like. I would never say otherwise and i think it's irresponsible for people to say otherwise it's like a lot of these principles need time to marinate in your head too so some of the like build once sell twice for
2: example you might take that course today and then maybe in 18 months you make a different decision because of it and some
1: people might be at a stage where they take it and they go and they're like okay i know what to build now but mm-hmm. other people we'll just pick up like four principles from it and we'll like negotiate for a different position at work or start to, you know, build a media component of their job. Yeah. It's Uh, not a one size fits all prescription. And that I would like condemn a lot of the approaches that are one size fits all prescriptions, because most of them are turning you into a commodity, which long-term it's a race to the bottom, right? If you're Mm-hmm. If you're not the only person that does what you do, or at least a very specific strain of something, then um the market will come and get you man it's uh the internet is a crazy place
0: very it's very 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 smart advice um and i and i appreciate i appreciate your word just because I think that a lot of people that try and make money online um, don't always the people that teach it don't always have the best intentions. So uh, I think obviously a much a much different way that you're you're teaching it. Obviously, um, but just you know if if I would not want you to get grouped into the same category as many other people that try and help people break away from their jobs. Yeah, a, a, I I definitely
1: that's a that's a personal like it's a something I take very seriously. Not like being yeah. grouped in with that because the barrier to entry to be a teacher on the internet is so low. Anybody can yeah, do it with yeah. an internet connection and everybody like we're seeing with these like crypto pump and dump things. Like you promise people the ability to make X, then they make like emotional decisions and pursue those things irrationally a lot of the time. And uh, there's way more nuance involved than that. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's a it's a long fight to try and, you know, try and, get out of that category i think i've been fortunate enough to not play in that world but it's uh it's hard to it's hard to convey the nuance at in the speed of the internet right and the way people like expect results to happen is honestly uh quite far from the the most difficult cases and that's
0: actually why uh, that's why i advise actually most people that want to start their own business to, to not uh, because a lot of people just the expectations are just absolutely incorrect uh, yeah so that's why it's like build build a brand while you're working for a company maybe start a side hustle but don't quit your job Agreed. see if it see if there's that inflection point that where you can start to move over but don't don't do anything irrational like yeah, like I, most, again it's a, it, it all comes back to the social media propagating the shiny object syndrome this this larger than life you know uh, the, the people that can live these lavish lifestyles because of their inter, you know internet money type <laughs> yeah yeah it's just it's just not good but anyway that's why I'm I, I was I was happy to break down your process and your your course and your thought process because I know it's logical it's it's rational and um and it's it's achievable to do things that like what you're doing as long as you as long as you understand what the expectations are you have you have rational expectations for the outcome yeah
1: i didn't mention this in my story but i only started like I, I was running this ghost agency while i had a full-time job like I, at no point did i say okay you know call my boss into a room say i quit i'm gonna go and start yeah. my own agency i already had an, another agency for all intents and purposes and contracts signed and all these different things before making the leap because yeah yeah,
2: and I agree. It's, uh, it's a really, uh, it's a problematic narrative to, to, um, mm-hmm.
1: to push because as the internet makes things, you know, it claims to make things easier, it also increases competition to like the nth degree. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. it's an interesting yeah. mix and uh, you get different perspective at different scales. And you start to understand how power laws work and network effects work. Right. And more, the longer I spend at it, the more I'm convinced that there is this happy middle ground of like just get really good at something and find 10 people that need you to do it for them. And you could either do that on the side or you could build like a really solid business that way. So one other point I'll I'll yeah. make is exposure to commercial environments where you see what people pay for things and what the relationship between you know price and value is is another huge advantage. So another thing that I see like kids coming out of college and trying to start an agency business off the bat. It's
2: like you don't even really know who you're competing with there and you you I don't think you see the 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 specific
1: problem you solve or the like how you're different from you know the traditional options so again all of these different experiences teach things that you could never like project out it's all hindsight so there's a i think it's a steve jobs quote or it's a version of it's inspired by but he talks about all the different experiences he had through school, like went to typography classes and then did computer science and like all these like mishmash things of his interest, which culminated in a new version of a computer, right? That considered things that PCs and whatever else just didn't care about. And the analogy or the metaphor is you you collect the dots in real time, then you connect the dots in hindsight. So you do these things, you like, take risks, you have new experiences, you meet new people. And then, you know, Visualize Value doesn't have a 10 year roadmap or anything like that. It's like, I'm expecting that I'll run into something in three months time that I'll be like, okay, pivot, slight change of direction. And you have like, if you have that relationship with people at scale, you really have this like liquidity to maneuver a little more too. Um,
0: but that's yeah. two years in, right? That's not on day one. No, exactly. And actually, that was my, that was my, uh, sort of my last question that I wanted to, to just ask you about for somebody who is a creator, what is the end goal in your mind? What's the, what's the end result? I think just the,
2: like, it's like maintaining this, the state that I'm in now, like the optionality Mm -hmm. is great.
1: The like ability to meet people pursue interests like have conversations like this is all um a lot of it comes down to like surrendering to your curiosity after a certain amount of time and Mm -hmm. that to me is like you know i've had offers to like raise venture money and build a like media beast machine i'm like I'm already like semi-retired in a sense. So why would I go and do <laughs> yeah. that? You know, there's, a, there's the, uh, have you ever heard But you of never that? know.
0: You never know what you're going to do in six months or a year from now, depending on, right? Yeah. What, and there's what, like what a what lot of people don't itself. want
1: to live that way. And there are downsides to it. There is a drawback to like a lack of predictability in some ways. But I'd take that trade off for the like time freedom that yeah. it provides. It's the...
2: Um, there's the i'd
0: also say there's no predictability in, in in what we consider to be predictable jobs anyways this is true if, too. the last two years have taught us anything this so. is
1: true this is true um there's a great uh, i'll send you a link to it it's like uh the fisherman and the venture capitalist have you heard of that story before? no i haven't no send it i don't know this uh i could, if you have a time i can just quickly reiterate yeah it. do it so yeah. I think it's an American, this is how it's told, it's an American guy who's on holiday in Mexico and there's a fisherman on the beach in Mexico. And he's uh he's got his catch, he's got like three fish. The American goes up to him, he's like, oh, wow, how long have you been out for? He's like, oh, a couple of hours, got my three fish. He's like, oh, okay. Why didn't you, if you were catching fish, why didn't you stay out longer? He's like, oh, I don't need any more fish. And he's like, oh, you know what you should do? You should uh, get more boats and then you should like hire a, a bunch of fishermen and get a fleet out there. And, um, you know, then eventually you can get big enough where you could do an IPO and you could sell your business to, and he's like, why would I do that? He's like, oh, you know, so you can, you know, chill out with your family and like go and see your friends at night. Yeah. And he's like, that's where I'm going right now. That's how I'm already doing that. <laughs> There's just this fascinating so like trap that. you get caught up in, right? Where you, yeah. uh, you're swinging for this weird result. And a lot of, uh, a lot of the time the, like Yeah, you just get completely lost in this process with this arbitrary thing, and you may have the majority of that already going for you. So stumbling on something that you like to do every day and can keep you alive, you know, that's economically uh, feasible. Again, your point about trying stuff while you already have income in another world or, you know. You don't have to burn all the bridges and start, you know, swinging for the fences on day one. There's a lot of optionality out there.
0: Very good advice. All right. I'll do a couple, um, I'll do a couple of rapid fire just to bring out some life lesson, career insights that, that you've experienced over your career. Um, And then we'll tell people where to go find you if they haven't already seen you online. Okay. Um, What has been the biggest challenge in your career and how did you overcome it?
1: Hmm. Probably, uh, it definitely was when I was running an agency
2: and the, um, like, accepting, accepting all of these jobs that I knew I wasn't,
1: like, 100% qualified to do, I was just, like, it was really burning me out and, like, wrecking my relationships and stuff. And then
2: going, like, really leaning into saying no. And... that's a really hard
1: thing to learn for me. Like saying no to people is really hard because I always assume yes is, you know, the gateway to opportunity and to a certain extent Mm. it is. But when you have enough proof that you don't need to say yes anymore, stop saying yes. That was the hardest (laughs) thing I ever did, but it took like it, it was a rocket underneath the growth of the business and my personal life and everything. And just even little things like, you know, i'd have friends that will say like oh can you get on the phone with me for two hours to do this thing i'm just like no bro i can't do that anymore i used to do it all the time my calendar would be full i don't do it anymore and then you know three months later when people start to uh come to terms with that you have better relationships with them anyway so Mm -hmm. like saying no is hard but that's definitely been instrumental
0: good advice um so this sort of segues into the next question um hopefully you can pull something different out what, what would be the what would be some advice you would tell your younger self
2: i think um there's a like i think about this a lot like trust your gut
1: is perhaps the um yeah one thing that i in hindsight hasn't steered me wrong right you think of the gut as this like emotional thing but i'm actually starting to think you know there are exceptions to this rule like meme coins and things uh aside <laughs> the idea that your gut is made up of like thousands and thousands and thousands of exposure of exposure to thousands and thousands and thousands of situations and um like the all the calls that you've made subtly like when i end up like overthinking a decision like with regards mm-hmm. to like staying in a job or, uh, you know, switching, um, say a no to someone like almost always when I've questioned my initial instinct, I've ended up in a, in the wrong place. Hmm. So that like trust your gut, trust the process, the most cliche advice there is, but like trusting the fact that your body is telling you something because it has way more experience than your conscious mind can even comprehend Mm -hmm. a lot of the time has not steered me wrong. And I mean, there's, I think there's only so long you can go against your instinct right before you just, well, I think it would just break you down eventually. It it would be, it would would be difficult. You're
0: not nice to be around all of those things. Yeah. Um, Okay. So one, one person that had a major impact on your life and what did you learn from them? so i'm gonna
1: go i would say my wife but i'm gonna give a professional example Uh, my first boss in that small agency i mentioned uh he would definitely not remember this comment he made but there was a uh, review of some work it was like one lunchtime meeting and i was maybe six months into the job and i came over with these printouts i was about to review this thing and i said Hey, I don't really know if this is good enough or right. And he's like, "I'm gonna stop you there.
2: Why are you showing it to me if it's not good enough?" I was like, uh, "I don't, I don't know." He's like, "Take it
1: away. Like, cancel the meeting. Like, don't bring it to me if it's not good enough. If you know you haven't taken it as far as you can take it, I don't want to see it. If you're not confident in it, like, even like opening." the presentation of your work with that statement has made me think it's no good. Right. So yeah. like, you're not doing yourself any favors in any dimension with that. So that to me has been like, you know, like I said, he probably forgot that he even said that, but I've thought about it every
0: day, probably since. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. No, that's impactful too, I guess, uh, because then it makes you pause it. Well, first of all, two sort of two lessons to bring out of that don't sell yourself short because then you're setting the stage for exactly you're imprinting on them whatever it is that you think your work is or isn't and that's not good because there's a chance it could be fine right secondly if your work isn't good then why are you delivering it that's exactly those are too smart very very smart things to take away very uh, you know it's funny how like you know you think back on like the people you've worked with and for and like some small off-the-cuff comment like totally changes your mindset and your outlook on life. It's very interesting. Actually, that's another, that's a, even, that's another lesson. You have to watch what you say yeah. because it can have yeah, yeah. massive negative or positive impact. On yeah, it. And especially if you have leverage, you, you can have a lot. 100%, yeah,
1: yeah that's a great point. Um, and especially because the internet sort of disconnects you from the feeling of leverage too. Like it's really hard to comprehend hundred thousand people reading something you write
0: yeah it's really you bizarre see that in the stadium yeah you you would be like you know you'd pause for a second you'd be like holy shit yeah exactly but
1: no if people <laughs> just like firing out whatever you know yeah. brain fart they have yeah it's yeah. a powerful thing um and and pros and cons right there'll be people that are like i read this thing you wrote a year ago that you've forgotten yeah. about that had an instrumental impact on someone so i think if your intent is good great mm-hmm. like that's what it all comes back to yeah,
0: and it, but if, you're, if your intent isn't, watch out because it, the internet's forever. Internet's <laughs> coming for you, man. Yeah, there's, there's no hiding. Um, okay, uh, what's one resource, book, podcast, Audible, somebody should go check out?
2: Uh, I'm going to do... There's a book called Psycho-Cybernetics, a guy called Maxwell Maltz. You ever
1: heard of this book? Yeah, yeah. Great book. Uh, and then I'm going to give one more, but I was going to give this first, the, how to get rich without getting lucky, Naval Ravikant, the, the tweet podcast thread. Well, and the tweet thread. Yeah. Read it. And listen oh, yeah, I was going to say
0: the tweet thread. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> that was instrumental in my, in, you know, I sort of found that and so many light bulbs went off and it sent me in a different direction. And that's another, I think that's another lesson in just how rare it is to find, um, things that can drastically change the trajectory of your life like mm-hmm. you know you could read a book but this is i think the the density of wisdom in that thing is all-time great like the amount of people that have of uh yeah changed the direction of their life for the better for reading that i think is is very high so that's great yeah, stuff. so
0: that's uh, I, so you referenced the podcast i was just saying that you go on twitter look up uh, Nevada. i'm pretty sure that still is pinned yeah, I'm pretty sure that's still his pinned tweet on his profile. But
1: I think there's a three-hour podcast where it goes a little deeper,
0: so get that get that in your ears too. Yeah, no, good advice. And then lastly, um, what does what does success mean to you?
2: I think like waking up, looking forward to the day, or going to bed and not like and um and being excited about tomorrow.
1: Like I wish away the night's sleep, and that's like you got everything if, if you go to bed feeling that, I think.
0: I love that. Um, and then most importantly, where do people, uh, find you, connect with you, email you, reach out to you. What's the best, uh, way to so
1: get me on Twitter and you can find everything else through that. So at Jack butcher and then at Visualize value and yeah, you'll find me there. And if you've got questions, just, uh, my DMS are open, hit me. All right.
0: Awesome, man. That's all I got. That was awesome.